0: In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, in the last few weeks, the biannual annual youth risk behavior study was partially released. And the main data point grabbing headlines so far is the jump in persistent sadness and hopelessness, primarily among teenage girls. In the last 12 years, in 2011, it was 36% of teen girls, which is still horribly high, but 36% of teen girls in 2011 would be described as persistently sad and hopeless. And right now it's at 57%, almost, almost two-thirds. It's an alarming jump. There's a jump among teen boys as well, just not that much. What's shocking is there's no massive spike correlated with things like COVID and social distancing and not being at school. In other words, teenage girls were already trending in that direction. COVID didn't make it worse. It was already getting worse. One social scientist said there's now a great deal of evidence that social media, shocker, is a significant contributing factor to these jumps in depression and anxiety among teen girls and boys. In fact, I, I sent this information in a group text with our two older girls and Jennifer and um, apologized. I said, we, we were careful. Like we waited longer than all your friends and we gave you guidance and we had limits and we tried to do all the things. Right. Let's read this book together. Let's talk about this together. <laughs> and if this has been an issue for you and in whatever ways it's an issue for you, like I am so sorry. Uh, if we could have done more and if we can help now, let us know. Like we can go back to some of those things we've done before, even though you are so old now. But just hearing those studies and stats or just examining those that we know and, and the culture around us, it, like just hearing that makes me want to sink into persistent sadness and hopelessness. Like it feels like we're caught in this sad avalanche that's out of control, and things are just continuing to slide downward. Which is why we hear things like Asbury and the spread of these moves of God around college campuses gives us so much hope. Like, God, please do that again. Just as we we came out of the turmoil of the 60s right into the Jesus movement of the 70s, maybe that's what God's up to again. and Maybe we're going to experience that kind of move of God like he's done before. Please, God, we need it. It would indeed be hopeless if not for the good news of Jesus The person and work of Jesus, the fact he is alive and powerful and able to help, means we are never without hope. Jesus himself and his gospel speaks directly to persistent sadness and hopelessness. Speaks directly to depression and anxiety. Speaks directly to lostness, our greatest problem. In fact, it's not just hope, but as we'll see in this passage here in 1 Peter, it's inexpressible and glorious joy that he has for us. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. You rejoice in this, even now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proving character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want to walk through six reminders in this passage that help us live with this inexpressible and glorious joy instead of persistent sadness and hopelessness. Now these aren't six steps toward happy clappy fake religious pretend like everything's okay. Don't deal with the hard stuff of life. Joy, I'm not saying that. These are six reminders from this passage that help us get to, and come back to, and continually enjoy inexpressible glorious joy in the grind of suffering. The first one is there's no joy. Uh, there is joy in the work of the gospel in our lives. There is joy in the work of the gospel in our lives. We see this in the very beginning of verse 6. You rejoice in this. Rejoice in what? Verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed. That is ready to be revealed in the last time. We'll see if it lasts. Um, and you rejoice, verse 6, in this. Peter says, we rejoice in this. Jesse walked us through those verses last week, but it's a beautiful description of the work of Jesus in our lies not just Jesus but as you saw in that passage the work we have back up we're good of the Father Son and Holy Spirit one writer said this could be also translated as in whom we rejoice so it's not just what we rejoice in what he's done for us but in whom, who we rejoice, who has done all these things for us. And so this joy that we have starts with Jesus Christ and the work of the Father, Son, and Spirit on our behalf through the gospel. I've, I've always been fascinated by things like Natural Springs, like every time I drive to the chicken plant north of Farmerville, uh, where I, I go as a chaplain to the employees, there's this sign on Highway 2 outside of Farmerville, This uh, I think it's Elysian Springs, it's this place you can pull over on the side of the road and literally there's just a pipe in the ground that has water coming out of it. And you can bring bottles and jugs. And you can just fill it up with this natural spring water. I've I've never stopped. I've always wanted to stop. I have no idea how much water comes out. I have no idea if it's a trickle sometimes, if it's gushing at other times. But it's coming from deep within the earth and it never stops. To us it seems to be forever. And this is the joy that we have in Jesus. Like we see in movies all the time the fascination with uh, perpetual renewable energy supplies, like cold fusion. They're always wondering if we can solve the cold fusion. Can we just have energy forever. It never ends, and we don't have to feed more energy into it to get energy out of it. This is like a natural spring. This is the joy that's available, available to us through Jesus. It never ends. It's inexhaustible. It can't be perished. It's always present. We can always, always, always go back to the reality of Jesus working in our life and find a reason to rejoice. Always. We can always, and this is before the the suffering that we're going to talk about. It's part of what we hope to accomplish every Sunday, to come together as a family of believers. And remember, be reminded, because we're so prone to forget. We so easily lose sight. But it's always true. It's always real, and it's always available for our joy. And it's a joy that can't be quenched. It's a joy that's even more powerful than suffering. We rejoice in this. Look at the rest of verse 6. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, we can still rejoice even in the midst of suffering. We would be tempted to only experience grief from suffering, yet Peter is telling us we can rejoice. Even though the grief is is hard and heavy, we can still find joy in the midst of grief because the source of our joy isn't extinguished by the grief of suffering. And so unique to Christianity, we suffer great grief. We're honest about that. But we also experience greater joy. Like Eastern religions will either talk about suffering as an illusion. It's not really real. It's not actually happening. Or they'll talk about suffering as part of their hopeful salvation. Western secular thought sees suffering more as an unexplained attack that needs to be eliminated. So with the power of our knowledge, our science, our technology, our medicine, our money, then we can theoretically eradicate the world of suffering. And when it shows up, it's never something good. It's like we're being cursed. We must fix it. Get rid of it. Or some try and diminish suffering simply through comparison. Well, yeah, you're suffering, but, you know, there's starving kids in Ethiopia. That's what I was told as a kid. Or there's other people suffering in greater ways in other parts of the world. So you're su- you don't really have a lot to complain about. And, th- and that, might, that definitely is true. First world problems. We all say that all the time. But that doesn't take away the pain of our suffering in the moment. What makes Jesus and his gospel unique to all other religions and secular thought is we have a God who is wounded. There's no other God that anyone else worships that says that. We have a God who is wounded, and we, like him, expect, we expect to be wounded. Later in 1 Peter, we'll see this passage. Dear friends, chapter 4, verse 12, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Don't be shocked. It's coming. We saw last year in our walk through James, James 1-2, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Don't just not be surprised, but actually find joy when trials come. Oh, now I can do the first one. The second one, that's hard. Maybe today's passage will help. It's not an illusion because we're grieving. The grief is real. We're not earning part of our salvation because we've already been given that, as we saw in verses 3 through 5, through the work of the Father, Son, and Spirit, not our work. But it is expected and can't be avoided. But the suffering is never so powerful as to overcome joy. And that leads to the second reminder, number two. Our suffering is grievous but brief. Our suffering is grievous but brief. In verse 6. You rejoice in this even though now for a short time. No matter how hard or difficult our suffering is, it's never forever. It's not eternal. And I know it might feel trite to be reminded if you're suffering, well, you know, this too shall pass. It's not going to last forever. And that certainly can be shared with people in a way that is unloving. Because you're not willing to weep with those who weep or grieve with those who are grieving. You just want to get to the theological truth so you can wipe your hands of them. But, But it's still true. And there is a time and a place for that truth. That suffering doesn't last forever. Peter's not trying to dismiss or be trite with suffering. He admits this suffering is grievous. It brings real, genuine grief that must be felt. Like the word translated as grief could also mean deeply troubled. We go through genuine suffering that deeply troubles us. Tim Keller makes a great point. He says the Bible teaches us that Christians are both sadder and happier because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We feel the extremes of emotions more than others. The deep grief and sorrow of suffering Like Job, when he lost everything in one day except for his life and his wife, extreme external suffering, not caused by his own sin. And Job's response in Job 1, he stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, Naked I came from a mother's womb. Naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout, throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Now, that's a pretty extreme reaction. Tore his robe, shaved his head. Well, shaved his head's not that extreme. But back in that day, it might have been super extreme. And he was deeply troubled, deeply grieving. This was not a, a sinful reaction. Like Peter's own testing of his faith, his own sin and failure to not be ashamed of Jesus. When the rooster crowed in Luke 22, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And Peter, who had just failed, went out, the Bible says, and wept bitterly, bitterly, deep grief, deep sorrow, deeply troubled. In one sense, we can experience the emotional depths of grief and suffering because of the gospel, because we no longer have to hide our sins and our flaws. We can be an open book. Here are all the ways that I'm flawed. I have nothing to hide. I have no reason to keep this covered, no reason to be ashamed of this. Jesus has cleansed me of all this unrighteousness. Jesus has accepted me and embraced me and loved me and saved me. So I don't have to hide in the dark. I can bring it into the light and be set free from condemnation and shame. I don't have to pretend anymore. So I can fully experience the depths of grief. But we can also experience these depths of grief because of the sufferings of others. In this world that caused us to have great empathy, to weep with those who are weeping, like we have the heart of Jesus in us, and so we're not cold and uncaring to the suffering, but we lean in and empathize with the heart of Christ. Another reason we are deeply troubled by suffering. And so no way does the truth of our joy in Christ become a cause to not deeply grieve the suffering of ourselves or the suffering of others. It's just that we don't only grieve. That's not where we stop. The grief eventually always gives way to joy, in part because we know our suffering isn't forever. Yeah, well, it's easy to say about a minor issue, what about the things that are really hard, the suffering that will last years, and years and years are the wounds that cut really deeply grieve that deeply grieve that but even that grief doesn't change the hope and joy we have because in the end one day grief will be gone like literally grief doesn't last forever it it may last a big portion of your life it may come and go for big chunks of your life you It may feel for some like it barely leaves you at times. But even for for that person, for a believer, it's not eternal. It will end. We are headed to a day of no suffering, no tears. It's what makes us unique, the hope of the eternal state. Like, I'm afraid we're we're, we've swung that pendulum too far, like right now, today's church. Many of us grew up in churches that focused on getting to heaven, just Get people to make decisions and get them to heaven when they die. Our salvation's mainly about getting to heaven. And it seems like the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years has been a pendulum shift to remind the church, wait, our, our salvation is not just about heaven. It's about the kingdom of God coming here and now. Like we experience the joy of Christ now. Eternal life is that you would know God, not that you fly away to another place and be with God. We have eternal life now. Let's see the presence and power of Jesus experience and happening happening now. And we've become so focused on the more on the here and now. Maybe we've lost the genuine joy that comes from the sweet by and by. The genuine joy that comes from focusing our minds and hearts on what is to come. Maybe we've just become so grieved at the sorrow in life. It feels at times as though that day is never going to get here. Well, whatever the case, the Bible clearly tells us what is to come in the future is supposed to affect us now. We live with eternity in view always, and whatever has or is hurting you deeply right now will not, will not always hurt. It will not always hurt. It won't even always be present, like you will one day physically be pain-free. Nothing will ever hurt again. You will one day emotionally be pain-free. You will never have a sad day again. You will one day be relationally pain-free. There won't be one drop of tension between you and anyone else you're around. Jesus is bringing us to that day. Pain and hurt do not win because Jesus has won. And I, I don't know about you, like, as, I'm, as I was thinking through that, and, right, and even as I'm preaching, it's like right now, there's like joy coming up inside of me. Like, yes, bring it. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. How much longer do we have to wait? It brings joy to think about what is to come. The third reminder for our joy is, isn't just that our suffering is temporary, but our suffering isn't pointless. Our suffering isn't meant to destroy us, but refine us. Our suffering isn't meant to destroy us, but refine us. Look again at verse six. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith. More valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result In praise, glory, and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ, our suffering is not pointless. It's designed by God not to destroy us but refine us. If necessary, he tells us, it will be refined by fire. Now, if necessary implies that sometimes suffering isn't necessary. So the Christian life is not expected to be a life of perpetual suffering. Again, another pendulum swing we have to guard against. The suffering is good for my sanctification, then shouldn't I just choose the option that always produces the most suffering? Right? If that's best for me, like a form of asceticism that some monasteries have practiced over the years, let me be most miserable, even in the clothes that I wear, the jobs that I work, the people that I'm with, so I can suffer more and experience Jesus more. Well, then why don't you just parachute into North Korea with a box of Bibles? You want to get crazy? Let's get crazy. It's going to be a lot of suffering there, but you'll have more of Jesus. But implied in the phrase, if necessary, is that someone is in charge and sometimes deems it necessary and sometimes doesn't. Our suffering isn't just us caught up in the winds and waves of a sin-cursed world. It's ordained by God. It flows through his hands, and it enters our life when he deems it necessary. God is not the author of evil, but evil is not sovereign. God is. And God is able to orchestrate and ordain all things, good and bad, for our good and his glory at work in our lives. And that's what he does. The tension between God's sovereignty and what some may call our free choice or, or the choices that we make for which we'll be held responsible, it's always a tension we have to live with. How do we resolve that tension? We don't. You can't. We often struggle with this balance, like Acts 2, verse 22, fellow Israelites, Peter's preaching to the, the people in the day of Pentecost. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. Jesus suffered at the hands of a sinful man and was unjustly crucified. He was innocent. Will those men, those lawless men, be held accountable for crucifying an innocent man, the Son of God? Absolutely. Yes, it will be held accountable. They chose to do that. Read the Gospels. Was this all according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge? Yes, 100%. Tim Keller says we we think of this tension as a zero-sum game. Well, God must be 100% in charge and man must be 0% in charge. Or Man must be 100% in charge, and God's not really in charge. But he's like, actually, it's God is 100% sovereign, and man is a 100% responsible to make good choices. It's 100%, 100%. The math doesn't add up. Well, then that's the tension we have to live with. We don't understand how the math adds up. God does. If we understood it, stood it we would be God. But we're not. It's just the same thing we say in marriage. Marriage is not a 50-50 partnership. It's 100-100. How does that math work? Well, just let one partner start giving half of themselves to the other partner, and you begin to see that the math needs to be 100-100 for the relationship to work. God isn't the author or agent of evil or whatever causes our suffering. Peter says various trials, whatever comes in our life, but he is 100% in charge of how he ordains it for our lives. Sometimes it is external suffering, things we experience from the outside, and sometimes we suffer because of our choices. But in all of it, when we experience suffering, we can know God is at work in that season because he has deemed it necessary for us. Not to destroy us, but refine us. Peter makes the comparison to gold, at that time the most valuable natural resource. Today, of course, we would say uh, rhodium, periodic table, symbol element RH, used in catalytic converters. It's nine times more valuable than gold. But in that day, it was gold. Today, iridium, palladium, all more valuable than gold. Gold, a naturally occurring metal that had to be heated, melted down, so the impurities of the metal would float to the top and be skimmed off, so the gold would be purified. And, and he's saying if that is done with gold, a valuable but temporary Perishable material, how much more important is it for our faith to be refined? For our faith to be heated up by suffering so that impurities could be brought to the surface and removed. Impurities in us, frankly, we probably don't see until we suffer. It's the suffering that brings it out, exposes it to remove it. And notice the contrast. The impurity is removed, but our faith is proven. Our faith remains. It even becomes stronger. And remember this, does our faith need to be proven to God? Is God up there wondering? I wonder if he really believes. Let me just do this and find out. Like he's monkeying around with us in a lab? He knows our faith is real or not. He's testing it so we know it's real. God knew Job's faith was real. He's the one who offered him up to Satan. Have you checked out Job. God knew, Peter, Jesus knew Peter would return after Satan sifted him as wheat. He said, when you return, Peter, encourage the brothers. God's not testing us to see if, if our faith is real. He's testing us to help us see that our faith is real, to prove and prove to us our faith is real. This room is filled with followers of Jesus who have suffered, who are suffering, and who rejoice Because by his grace, you still believe. And and the the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I'm amazed that I still believe. The more I realize it's by his grace. The the longer you live, the more things you walk through, the more reasons you have to walk away. And yet here we are holding on to him because we know by his grace, he's holding on to us. We know he's at work. And even though we've gone through things that would tempt us to walk away, we still hold on to him because we know in the deepest fiber of our soul that he's got us, he's with us. And this brings not just great peace and even joy now, but one day it will bring even greater joy. That's the fourth reminder. Our suffering will lead to even more joy in the presence of Jesus. Our suffering will lead to even more joy in the presence of Jesus. The, the back end of verse 7 as our faith is proven and refined by fire, it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, when all eyes will be opened and we'll see the king of the universe on that day, our proven faith will stand and all will see he's worth it. He is worth the suffering. He's worth our love and devotion. And not only will the reality of our proven faith tested and tried and found to be real, not only will that lead to more praise and glory and honor of Jesus, but will also lead to praise, honor, and glory of us. Like the language there can go, it goes both ways. Jesus, of course, is going to be worshiped, but Jesus is going to look at us and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into this inheritance that I've provided for you. Like I think it's been long enough. I think it's safe to say this now. No concerns about spoilers. But it would be like if Avengers Endgame ended and Tony didn't die. How much better would that movie be? You had have to kill him. just because the contract was up. You had this great joy we finally beat this evil guy. We've been waiting for years for all the Avengers to beat. And then we immediately go into grief so much that we don't even want to watch the movie anymore. It's like, yeah, it's too sad. I can't watch that anymore. Like, What if they didn't kill him? What if everyone lived and this huge party and celebration broke out? That's just a a very, all all analogies break down, I know. That's an inkling of an idea of what this reunion with Jesus will be like one day. Like we try to make earthly comparisons that don't always work because we know, we have no idea what this celebration is going to be like. We've never experienced this. There's no way to put into words the end of the journey, the celebration of the victory that now we'll enjoy in full forever. But the more our hearts and minds imagine and dwell on that reality, the more joy we can experience now, even as we grieve and suffer. Part of what we will experience that day will bring uh, so much joy is that our faith will become sight. The one that we've loved and believed in, we will now see and gaze upon all the promises we've had faith in will become realized like it's true. It's really true. But for now, we have joy, even though we haven't seen him, which is the the fifth reminder of why we can have this indescribable joy. Number five, we love and believe in a savior we haven't seen yet. We love and believe in a savior we haven't seen yet. Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him, though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter is writing to believers who, unlike him, have never set their eyes on Jesus, but yet they love him and believe in him. And Jesus, as Jesus told the doubting, doubting Thomas in John 20, because, Thomas, you have seen me, you have believed. You've seen my scars, now you believe in me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Yay, Thomas, good for you. You got the evidence you need, now you believe in me. Fantastic but an even greater blessing to those who will believe and not see me, which is most of the people who will follow Jesus. Now, some take this to the extreme and say things like, well, our faith is blind faith. Well, blind in the sense we've never seen Jesus with our eyes, but not blind in the sense that we believe in just nothing. We're just launching out into the dark. Our faith might be blind in that we have never seen Jesus, but our faith is not baseless. We are believing the eyewitness evidence of Jesus as provided in the scriptures. The next few verses that we'll see next week talk more about that, but we have faith in someone, not someone we've seen with our physical eyes, but he's been seen alive, and the evidence is overwhelming as recorded in the scriptures that Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead, and it's all true. So if that's true, that Jesus rose from the dead, then it's all true. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And this is so real, Peter says, we love him. There's this intimacy and this closeness with Jesus because we love him. We believe in him. True true belief will always lead to love and inexpressible and glorious joy. If love and joy aren't present, then we really need to begin to ask, is our faith just in our head? Have we just affirmed some facts that we believe are true? We've checked off on some data that we've accumulated, but we've not gone all in with all that we are. That's genuine belief. It leads to loving Jesus. And Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. It leads to inexpressible joy and glory. In fact, a joy so great, it's inexpressible. A joy you can't put into words. Like, I I was thinking through this, like, okay, when have I ever experienced that? And my mind immediately flashed back to the birth of Abigail. Jennifer, she was breached. She had to have a C-section, so... I was next to Jennifer while they were doing I don't know what on the other side of that curtain. And then after a while, uh, there was a cry. And they brought me over to this table, and here's this little alien-looking thing. That was my daughter. And, like, I literally remember. I can't put this into words. I I don't even know what to say right now. I, I just stood there, like, tearing up. I think I had a video camera. I don't remember. And wow, this, this happened. We did this. Look what God's done in our life. He's made this person, and now we're her parents. And then probably felt after a little while like, somebody help? <laughs> oh, she's got Jennifer. Okay, she's good. I'll just figure out how to help Jennifer do all the, the good things that moms do. Inexpressible Joy. It's possible for us, not just when we're gathered here, it's what we want to see happen, but it's not just when we're gathered here, it's not just when music is played, which we want to see happen when music is played, when prayers are offered, when, when communion is had, but it's not just even when we're in community. Being together helps because we encourage one another. We remind each other, but it's possible always, not because suffering isn't present, But it's because the one we love, the one we believe in, is always present. God, help us be a people who grieve deeply but rejoice abundantly, even in ways that can't be expressed in words at times. And that's the last reminder, the last reminder of why we can live with this inexpressible and glorious joy. Verse 9, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The fact that we are and will receive the full salvation of our souls. We have received and are receiving. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. All three aspects of our salvation are found in verses 3 through 9. Past what Jesus has done, current what Jesus is doing, and then future what Jesus will do when he returns. And this salvation of our souls, it's not the non-physical part of our being here, but Souls here is referring to the totality of our being, all that we are. The physical body is infected by sin. This physical body either needs to die and be buried and resurrected with a new body, a glorious body that can live forever, or if we happen to be alive when Christ returns, Paul tells us it will instantly be changed, transformed in the twinkling of an eye so that our body will be part of this glorious resurrection and will last forever. Again, This draws our hearts and minds future looking. We are being saved, but we still suffer. And one day we won't. One day all things will be made new. One day the last tear will fall. The last ache will cease. The last sin will be committed. The last shadow will fade. The final goodbye will be said. And all things will be new. The new heavens and the new earth will descend and a feast will begin and the enjoyment unending will commence like it's coming. It's coming. I listened to a podcast this past week of uh, predicting all these things in 2023 and economics and culture and sports and technology. And it was interesting, but but I'm also waiting for the podcast at the end of the year. Here's all the things we got wrong because we don't we don't know the future, but but we know this is happening. Jesus said, after he ascended into heaven, the angel actually said, you will see him again when he comes again. Like we know he's coming back. We know he's going to bust the sky open. We know there will be a day when the heavens and earth will descend and all things will be made new. And in this passage, this fills us with great inexpressible joy today and all days. And so I want to leave you with a few questions that you can make part of your discussion this week. Uh, either as families or in DNA groups or around the table as missional communities. And I'll, I'll put these on workplace, too. Number one, which reminder from this passage has led to more joy in your soul? And which one do you want to remember more in order to lead to more joy? Number two, what are some ways in which God grew you in a time of suffering that you only learned in that time of suffering? That would be amazing to share those stories as a church family. And how can you use that to bring more joy to others? And number three, do you tend to minimize grief or maximize grief? And so which reminder helps you view grief correctly in order to get to more joy? Because we remember what we've received, our suffering is hard but brief. It has a purpose to grow us and strengthen us. It leads to a greater joy one day with Jesus. The one we love and enjoy, even though we haven't seen him, he will fully and forever save us. We we need those reminders It's part of the reason we do this meal every single Sunday. In fact, Paul said in First Corinthians 11, "For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night he w- when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every Sunday, we share in this meal to be reminded, because we are prone to forget, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to pray and give you some time to Listen to the Spirit and respond in repentance and faith. Maybe for some, this will be the day of salvation because for the first time, you've truly seen the reality that you're a sinner and need a Savior and seen the beauty of Jesus as the sin-conquering king. But for many of us, it will be another reminder of how good he is, how close he is, how kind he is, how strong he is, how gracious he is, and how much we need him. So let me pray. And then you come when you're ready. This is for all baptized, repentant believers. We make that available to not just members of the church, but anyone here who's believing and trusting in Jesus for salvation and who wants to fight against their sin, who hates their sin. You come and grab the elements and return to your seat, and then we'll share in this meal together. Jesus, thank you for making all these things possible. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, as we need comfort, as we need encouragement, as We even need conviction. Break through the hardness of our hearts so there can be life and hope and joy and peace found in Jesus. Fill us with your inexpressible joy because you are here with us. We pray in Jesus' name.